and welcome back to our podcast, Where Do I Know Them From? As always, my name is Alexandra. And I'm Elizabeth. And this is the podcast where we talk about the entire filmography of a single actor in one season. This season, of course, we are doing Saoirse Ronan. We are finally, by the way, into 2013, so I'm excited to like really be progressing in her filmography since she started in 2007, so we're a solid six years in. Woo! All right, Elizabeth, do you want to kick us off with some Letterboxd reviews? Yes. First, I would like to note that this movie received multiple half-star reviews on Letterboxd. <laughs> However, I did not pull any of those because I didn't feel like they spoke enough to the plot for our fun little guessing game. But this is probably by far the worst reviewed movie we've ever watched. And we'll talk about whether or not Alexandra and I agree with that. However, <laughs> buckle up. All right. Good. 1.5 stars. I'm so thankful that we live in the reality that Saoirse Ronan's career survived this hot, hot mess. She just needed to pay rent. 2.5 stars. Saoirse Ronan can take over my body any day. Two stars. Stephanie Meyer really thinks that the sexiest thing in this world is kissing pale, vaguely similarly looking men. Facts. Straight facts. <laughs> this is, yeah. <laughs> it's very it's very Stephanie Meyer. Okay. <laughs> this was The Host. And honestly, yeah, Elizabeth is right. This is probably the worst reviewed movie I've ever seen. <clears throat> it came out in 20, 2013. It was directed by Andrew Nichol. It was also screen written by Andrew Nichol. It was based on the 2008 book by Stephanie Meyer of Twilight fame. The movie is 125 minutes long, which honestly, it felt like that's a fine length, you know? Yeah. It could have been a little shorter, but not by that much. It had a great cast, probably because they expected it to be a trilogy of movies. <laughs> the major actors are Saoirse Ronan, Max Irons, who plays her love interest, Jake Abel, Francis Fisher, Chandler Canterbury, Diane Kruger, and William Hurt. Uh, the score was by Antonio Pinto, and the score, I have to say, was like very much on brand for this kind of movie so like good job Antonio Pinto mm -hmm. the production companies were Nick Wexler Productions and Silver Reel and it was distributed by Open Road Films so the plot and this is maybe a little bit of a basic one a parasitic alien soul is injected into the body of Melanie Strider instead of carrying out her race's mission of taking over the earth Wanda as she comes to be called forms a bond with her host and sets out to aid other free humans now let's break down because <laughs> Obviously, it's so much more than Obviously that. Obviously, it's so much more than that. Um, we start as Melanie is taken. Like, mm -hmm. we start in this place. Opening she is, shot, she Melanie is, is taken. She is taken to this, like, medical facility in which they decide, well, hold on. First, she jumps out a window, and she is basically dead. She's being chased. She jumps out the window yeah. on the brink of death when they come to find her. Yeah. And the aliens look at her, and you can only differentiate them from humans because their eyes are blue. Uh, Very blue. They, like, have a blue ring around. So she jumps out this window. She is on the brink of death. And they look at her and they're like, ah, oh, this one's a fighter. And honestly, whack of them. Because later we find out that they don't want fighters. They want their humans to, like, disappear. They would prefer that the hosts do not, like, have personalities left. Mm -hmm. So they inject this alien wanderer into Melanie's body. She wakes up. She does the eye thing, you know, like an avatar. <laughs> and she says, okay, call me wanderer. Uh, later, this is shortened to Wanda, but that for the for the first like hour of the movie, we call her Wanderer. So then, Diane Kruger's character Seeker 
um, basically interviews her. And through these interviews, we get some flashbacks to kind of color in where Melanie was and who she is. So the aliens are trying to take over the world. They're trying to eliminate humans, like Mm -hmm. take over all human bodies because they think that the human race is too hostile and antagonistic. So they're trying to get all the humans to like live in harmony together, allegedly. And we find out that they've done this on multiple planets. Yes. So they're what they're doing when they put Wanderer in Melanie's body is like making Wanderer go through Melanie's memories to try to figure out where the other humans are hiding so that they can find them and take over all of their bodies. Yeah, they're trying to find the resistance. Mm -hmm. But like through these flashbacks, we not only learn that backstory, but we also learn that Melanie is very much still in Wanderer's mind. Mm -hmm. She like is actively speaking to Wanderer, saying like, no, don't tell her that. I'm trying to protect these people. She's like trying to protect her younger brother, Jamie. And she's also trying to protect her love interest, what is his name? They all look the same to me. Jared. Jared. She's Jared trying to protect her, her love interest, Jared Howe. Um, and also, like, the general resistance, which is where she was going, to live with her uncle, her uncle Jebediah. So, over the course of these interviews, Wanderer, like, become, forms a, a bond, I guess, a bond with Melanie. And eventually, this bond becomes so close that... She stops telling Seeker things. She stops telling Diane Kruger's character these things. And Melanie says, okay, let's run away. Yeah, Melanie basically gets Wanderer to, like, go rogue and be on her side. I think when they actually leave, they have different goals. Like, Wanderer is trying to go to Fort Worth to get her healer to take Melanie out of her or, like, to remove her alien self from Melanie's body and, like, put her somewhere else. Yeah, Wanderer is like, this is too much for me, but this girl deserves to, like, live. So, like you need a different host that's not, or you need a different parasite thing in your brain that's not yeah. the seeker because it was going to be the seeker mm-hmm. who's like aggro. Anyway, yeah. they have different goals when they leave, but yeah. eventually they're besties. Yeah. Eventually, Melanie like misdirects Wanderer. And so instead of going to Fort Worth, they instead go to the middle of the desert, which looks like New Mexico. Um, despite the fact that it's Texas. Yeah. Despite it's supposed to be Texas, Texas, but it's, they shot it in New Mexico. Yeah. And it looks very New Mexico too. So they end up in, on the side of the road. They, like, crash the car and walk into the desert, which is very way back of her. Um, yeah, very she... walk through the desert of her. <laughs> One thing about Saoirse Ronan, she loves to walk through the desert. Yeah. A lot of this movie, like, kind of was ca- a callback to her, her earlier stuff. Like, eventually after this walk through the desert, the way back, she ends up in a cave, the city of Ember. And, <laughs> yeah, in, like a city underground. Yeah. In a dystopian society, once again, city of Ember. So she eventually, like, is found by her uncle Jebediah, who obviously, as soon as she opens her eyes, knows that she's an alien or that she is inhabited by an alien because of her eyes. Mm -hmm. But he says, okay, no, that's my niece. Like, let's save her. Let's do an experiment on her. As we continue through the story, we get kind of two parallel stories, one of which is the seeker trying to find them. She's, like, very Javert of her. She's, like, this is my role and I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to find them. I'm going to root out all the humans. And so bought back and forth between her searching for them and them working as a society to just survive. So at first they put Melanie's body with the Wanderer in it in, like, jail, I guess. They put her in, like, a room. room, Like a room. And someone's, like, guarding her. Yeah. She has guardians, mostly because everyone wants to kill her, except for Jeb and also Jared. No. Well, Jared, Jared eventually wants to, wants to kill, kill her, her but first. he's, like, on guard duty. So they keep her away from her little brother, presumably because they don't think that the little brother is strong enough to see his sister and not know that she's a different person now. Because mm-hmm. they they all assume that Melanie is dead. Like, that's kind of a key thing is that we assume that there cannot be a human inside of an, an alien. They have to be dead, mm-hmm. which is not true. And we find out that that's probably not true for all aliens, mm-hmm. is that the human is always still in there. Over time, 
Melanie is like trying to control Wanderer, who is now who now goes by Wanda, and Wanda at the same time is falling in love with Ian, who is another guy, and Ian kind of becomes her protector. Yeah, basically, it's kind of it's like this whole weird thing where Uncle Jeb, Jebediah, the man that saves this movie for me, truly is he believes that Melanie is still inside of Wanda. I don't know why they never specify what he vibes like, he gets from this but ever since he sees her in the desert he's pretty much decided that he's going to figure out if Melanie is in there and pretty quickly decides that Melanie is. He says that like they've never seen an alien come back and so he assumes oh, that she true. she if Melanie's not alive then at least Wanda came back for her like, without she, backup or without like backup. reinforcement. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Okay. So he is kind of like befriending her and he kind of like war because he carries so much social weight he kind of warms everyone else to her yeah except a couple other people namely jared and kyle Kyle. (laughs) this is an anti-kyle account anti-kyle movie (laughs) but yeah and so then the conflict shifts from like oh no there's an alien among us to like how are we going to separate wanda and melanie should we separate wanda and melanie how are we going to keep the aliens from coming to get wanda yeah eventually Wanda reveals that Melanie is alive mm-hmm. and inside of her. And mm-hmm. so this is kind of what sparks them. But m- most of the movie is not that. Most of the movie is just, like, them vibing. Yeah. And then eventually they, like, she finds out that they have been kidnapping aliens and trying to remove them. Yeah, they being the humans. Like, yeah. the humans, when they go out to get supplies, have been, like, stealing alien people people who are inhabited by the aliens and they're trying to remove the alien from the host. Yeah, and she gets very mad about this presumably because she is an alien. And they're killing them. The yeah. way they're taking them out is killing the the souls is what yeah. they call them, but it's the alien that's inhabiting the human. And she says this is a bad idea, like it's not going to work. There's not enough of you to do this. And later she then says, "Okay, so here is actually how you remove the alien. You have to do it with love," which is so corny. <laughs> but she like she instead of like pulling the alien out, coaxes it out. I don't know how this is different cuz I don't know why the alien would choose to leave the ho- the host, but whatever. Anyway, she teaches them how to remove the aliens. She says, you have to say please. Yeah. You, <laughs> you have to ask it nicely. Consent is key here. Yeah. Um, so then we kind of, like, just proceed. They eventually take Wanda out of Melanie, and then two months later, they put Wanda back in somebody else who, like, didn't wake up after this process, someone who actually was dead. Who was, like, not going to live. Yeah. Like, they couldn't get her to wake back. She, okay, very key. If the person is dead, you cannot put the alien in them. Because otherwise the body is not going to, like, the body will decay. Oh, okay. So the person needs to be a little bit alive. A little bit alive. But, yeah, but this person was too close to dead. <laughs> they would have died if they didn't put Wanda in the body. Okay. Yeah. So at the end of the movie, at the very, very end of the movie, Seeker has been killed, Right. No, no. They took seeker. They took the seeker alien out of so dying, Diane Kruger's body. Yes, they capture the seeker. The seeker the whole time goes rogue from the alien establishment because, like, she's just so hell bent on like I need to find and eliminate this threat. And so she finds the humans. The humans kidnap her. Well, she tries to like you know take them down. They take her down. They put her in the same cell that Melanie was in. Melanie is like, hey, I mean Wanda. Wanda is like, hey, dude, what's going on? What gives? And she, yeah. you know, gives her little her little villain rant about, yeah. like, why Melanie is they, bad. Like, try and... to good cop her, and she says no. Yeah, and so Melanie decides, or no, sorry, Wanda decides that what needs to happen is that they need to take the alien out of Diane Kruger and send it far, far away, and then they need yeah. to take Wanda out of Melanie so that Melanie can have her body back. Yeah. 
And then Wanda is like, and you need to kill me, the alien, the little tiny Swiffer sweeper that is living inside Melanie. Yeah. <laughs> you need to kill her. They do um, take um, Seeker out of Diane Kruger's body. We later learn that Diane Kruger is named Lacey. Mm-hmm. And then they take Wanda and they, they like yeet um, the Seeker into space. Like they sent mm-hmm. her to the farthest away planet possible. Mm-hmm. And then they do the same process to Melanie's body. They remove Wanda and put it in a little box. As a, <clears throat> as a keepsake. She assumes that she'll die. I don't know why they can't just send her to a different planet. But yeah, Wanda... Assumes, she says she oh, doesn't yeah. want to live without the friends she's made. Yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> the love she's found. The real host is the friends we made along the way. Yeah. So yeah. they put her in someone else's body. Very human of her, I guess. So they put her in someone else's body, like Elizabeth already described, and Melanie is still alive, and Lacey is also alive, and they're all one big happy family. And yeah, yeah a little bit post-credits. They are just driving around doing some sort of task and they get pulled over by what we think is an alien. But as it turns out, he is an alien working with humans. So there's who's an- gone rogue like Wanda. Yeah. Another alien who's gone rogue. So this is where the sequel should start. The sequel has been in, in the works since this movie came out. Actually, no, since this book came out in 2008, in 2008, and it has not yet come out yet. The last I checked, it was supposed to come out in 2023. So tentatively next year. Ooh, uh, spicy. Stephanie Meyer has promised that there will be a trilogy. However, she is really George R.R. R. Martining us. Like, she is truly writing the Song of Ice and Fire about the host because it has been a long time. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I have not, I did not look very hard, but I also did not see any updates on whether or not the book is actually coming out in 2023. Well, we will wait with bated breath. <laughs> yeah. I, okay, when this movie came out, Jake Abel and Max Irons, the two love interests, both said when they were on tour with Stephanie Meyer that they would be interested in coming back. Oh, yes. This is an important plot point, in case you weren't wondering, because it is 2013 and um, we are in the paranormal romance height. An important part of the plot we have left out is that Jake Abel's character, Ian, is in love with Wanda and Max Irons' character... Jared is in love with Melanie. Right. And therefore, there is, in fact, a love triangle going on only because there are two women in one body. It's more of a love square. <laughs> love square. A love angle, if you will. <laughs> so kind of kind of silly goofy of them. But yeah, yeah we'll talk about it more later. They resolve it, though, because like... Yeah, whatever. They separate the women. Because love is truly blind. Love is actually blind. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Nick and Vanessa Lachey are quaking right now. <laughs> So, yes. Netflix, please don't sue us. <laughs> As you can kind of tell, this is a very representative of the year that it came out. Um, you have probably seen many parts of this movie, movie before. For example, we have seen The City of Ember and also The Way Back, um, which is just two parts of Saoirse Ronan's filmography. But also, like, every part of this movie is not that original. Mm-hmm. Um, it did not get great reviews. Like we said, <laughs> it has perhaps the lowest Rotten Tomato score I have ever personally seen at a 10% on the tomato meter. It has a 10%. You 10% guys, that means so that bad. only 10% of critics rated it higher than a 6 out of 10. <laughs> That's wild to me. Whatever. I'm surprised that anyone rated it higher than a 6 out of 10. Like, just based on everything else that we read, like, all the other reviews are terrible. I didn't think that it was that... I've seen worse movies than I've this. certainly seen worse movies, too. Like, I thought it was better than 10%. <laughs> the Rotten Tomatoes audience gave it a 49%, and Letterboxd gave it a 2.4 out of 5. So, kind of, we're moving up the scale, but not that fast. And Metacritic gave it a 35 out of 100. On the Rotten Tomatoes, their critic consensus says that it is poorly scripted and dramatically ineffective. The host is at most stale and tedious with moments of unintentional hilarity. And it was pretty funny. 
Like, it was funny. Definitely unintentionally. It I liked it. It was not supposed to be funny. I thought it was pretty good. Perhaps the funniest part was that Saoirse Ronan, as Melanie, not as Wanda, mm-hmm. did a southern accent. Oh, man. Which Elizabeth really, truly delighted in <laughs> repeating all of her lines again, but in a stronger southern accent, which I thought was funny. Well, it was so funny because, like, we hear Melanie speak a couple times, and it wasn't until, like, the... Th- well, not we see her speak throughout the movie, but... In the first couple scenes where they're together, and she's not because I know they they record it separately, but when, like, Saoirse Ronan is kind of switching back and forth, you only, like, notice that she's doing it on the third line when she hits something, like, super aggressive. Like, she, I swear to God in this movie, she, like, only does the accent on, like, I and A vowels, and that's it. But it's okay. It's a hard accent. Texas is hard for people. I know southern accents are hard for people, specifically people from the UK. Well, not that Ireland is from the UK. Anyway... British accents and Texas and Southern American South accents do not mesh. Like, they do not understand each other empirically. (laughs) Yeah. And so I get it. But it was just hilarious. Mostly because all of her accents have been so good. Like, it's kind of something that she's good at is accents. She's never done her own voice in a movie so far. Right. At least so far that we've seen. The one in in Death Defying Acts was, like, a little rough. But I think that that was just because so many other people were doing bad accents. Yeah. That I was like, "Mm, is hers actually good? But I think that in general she's great at accents. So to hear her do this one that was bad was just silly to me. (laughs) Speaking to her acting, actually, since we're kind of going to flip the script, I think that she did well in this movie. Mm -hmm. I think that, like... I commented while we were watching this that, like, she did not look like Saoirse Ronan. Mm. And maybe that was a little bit just because she was, like, her eyes were were different. But Saoirse Ronan has very blue eyes. And so seeing her with blue eyes was not that different. It was just, like, she looked very different. She carried herself differently. She, like, held herself in sort of different ways than she normally does. I'm and- not sure that I liked her that much in this movie. Actually, I'm glad she was in it. I don't know who else. Like, I think I liked her, their decision to include her in this movie. I don't think she was doing anything remarkably different. Mm-hmm. That like, like her performance did not stand out for me. I don't think that she was better than anyone else in the cast. I don't think that, like, she. I think this was kind of mid for her. She was nominated for a Teen Choice Award for this role. She did lose um, to Kristen Stewart for Breaking Dawn, which I think is hilarious that those movies came out in the same year. Um, absolutely crazy to me. Yes, it, that just kind of dates the movie, I think. Yeah. One also important part, I think, of of the critical response, which we forgot, is that this was the penultimate or second-to-last movie to be reviewed by film critic Roger Ebert. He was one of the most famous film critics before his death on April 4th, 2013, and, and it was the last major film review which he published in his lifetime. So his yeah, last so one he, he did do one more. It just came out after he was dead. He gave it a 2.5 out of 4 stars, saying the host is top-heavy with profound, sonorous conversations all tending to sound like farewells. Which, what does that even mean? I can't even imagine this being one of the last movies I've ever seen. No. Like, I can't even... It is the second-to-last movie I have seen recently, and I think that that idea is a little scary. I need to go home and watch another movie immediately, (laughs) just in case this is in the last five that I watch, you know? He says that the movie is so consistently pitched at the same note. Indeed, the structure, it robs it of possibilities for dramatic tension. And I think that I agree with that last part. Like, the first part, a little whack. But I agree that, like, this movie, the structure of it didn't work very well. Yeah. I I didn't ever sense dramatic tension in the movie. Well, act that that's not true. I did get worried for the humans when they would go out to get supplies. I was always worried. I was like, who's not going to come back from the supply runs? But yeah. I was never worried about, like, Melanie or 
Jared or Ian. Because I was like, they're going to stick around. Yeah. It did feel very much like everyone doesn't like this movie just because everyone doesn't like teen girl fiction. Yeah. Which I do like teen girl fiction. And so I thought that the movie was fine. Like, yeah. It wasn't yeah. amazing. It wasn't the best example of this genre that I've seen. But it was fine. No. I would call it overwhelmingly mid. It was overwhelmingly mid. Yeah. Everything about it was mediocre. Yes. Kind of to the genre, there are a lot of genre, genre like, overlaps here. Like, there's mm-hmm. the paranormal romance, which was so huge at this time. Mm-hmm. The love triangle, of course, which was super huge at this time. But also, like, they layered dystopia with science fiction, which don't always have to go together. And I think that they did a good job of layering dystopia yeah. and science fiction. I don't know. Which of those do you want to really talk about? Because I think, <laughs> think that, like... It's important to dive into what the genres are in this movie because they were all kind of interesting choices. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll just start with paranormal romance because I feel like it's the easiest one. Yeah. Obviously, it's paranormal romance because the alien inside Melanie's body is not human, right? Yeah. So that alters her body. She's not human. She's in love with these two human men. Yeah. I don't know how to feel about it. It was, like, very weird, like, because frequently in the movie they would, like, elicit the other person to, like, come out by, like, kissing the wrong man. Yeah, yeah. Multiple times, like, there's this one scene in particular where she kisses both men in the cave at the same time where Wanda is concerned that she has lost Melanie. I don't mm-hmm. know why we are concerned that we have lost Melanie. But she she remembers that Melanie always reacts really strongly when Wanda kisses uh, Melanie's boyfriend, Jared. And so after trying to kiss... But she also really re- reacts very strongly when she kisses E, and Melanie just reacts very strongly all the time. Yeah, Melanie so, <laughs> Melanie has some issues with physical intimacy, it seems. Yes. <laughs> Melanie needs to see a therapist. Yeah. Anyway, Wanda kisses Ian. It doesn't work. So then Wanda kisses Jared, and it works super well, so much that she bites him, I, which, weird. Like, yeah. <laughs> very, very Twilight of you, Stephanie Meyer, to include that. Um it was very much giving, like, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I think that the love triangle was an important yeah. part of that paranormal romance. Mm-hmm. Just in that there were two personalities in the same body, and they both had different love interests. Yeah. That person is, like, unrecognizable to the love... Because, like, in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, there's only one love interest, but, like, she's only attracted to one of them, mm-hmm. obviously. So, like, I think, like, the idea that your partner doesn't recognize you when you're in the other form yeah. and that being like telling of whether or not like you are who you are is kind of like yeah important yeah it is interesting though that like jared he's like one of the last people to accept that melanie is inside of that body still which the way he does it is whack jared yes jared, okay so to call back to their flashbacks and their early romance jared kisses melanie against her will and she like headbutts him and yeah, he like this is how pulls he decides, up on her yeah. and is like, "Are you an alien?" and like yes. shines a flashlight in her eyes, and then she's a human, and he's so excited to see another human that he kisses this human on the mouth, and which she fights him. Yeah, and then she's mad at him because and she understands consent. Yes, and he very clearly doesn't because he does it again. Yeah. So after this, like they become boyfriend and girlfriend, whatever. But then when she comes back as Wanda, and he's still doubting, and he's like on the, kind of on the fence about whether or not Melanie's still in there, he kisses mm-hmm. her again, <laughs> and. Once again against her will, which, like, our man has not learned a single lesson. This man said, even in dystopia, I need to go to horny jail. (laughs) But she headbutts him this time again. And, and, like, this is how he says, ah, yes, Melanie is still in there because she is protecting her body from, like, 
interacting with me when there's uh, something else in there. She doesn't want me to cheat on her. Yeah. Which is weird. Very like, weird. It's just weird. I don't like Jared. Honestly, the way that everyone accepts that Melanie is still inside of Wanda, or, like, you know, Melanie is still inside of, like, the body, Saoirse Ronan's body, um, is so whack. Like, it just feels like it's the smallest thing. But not even, like, the smallest thing in, like, a cool detail kind of way. It literally just feels like they were like, oh, okay. Now I I believe you. Yeah. It's <laughs> it definitely a vibe like, check on her every single time. It feels like it's a straw that breaks the camel's back thing, not a, like, this is the thing that determines whether you're Melanie. Yeah. It feels like it's, like, this is the last piece of evidence instead of, like, oh, you smacked me when I kissed you, so you must be Melanie. Yeah. Honestly, though, like, this love triangle was very representative of the genre in that mm-hmm. they all looked like they could have been related. Oh my god, yes. Every single man in this movie looked the same. They did. So, oh my gosh. And Frequently, also Alexandra basic. and I were like, which one is that one? <laughs> and honestly, Alexandra told me halfway through this movie that Max Irons is related to Jeremy Irons, and that really helped, because the whole time I was like, okay, we're just look- we're looking for Jeremy Irons, but younger. Alright, it's that one. <laughs> yeah, both of them also are like both of those guys were in so many of these movies. Mm-hmm. Like, both of them were in other love triangles mm-hmm. that it was just so confusing. I was like, okay, hmm, which one is it today? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I guess, like, consent sort of worked in this movie other than fucking Jared. <laughs> like, everyone else seems to be, other than Kyle also, who tried to kill her. Oh, my gosh, yeah. But other than, like, all the white boys looking the same and her kind of being lost in the sauce of, of who to be in love with at, at what point. It seemed to work fine. Like, they, of course, had some conflict over her, but also, like, the two boys definitely were not fighting over the same girl. They were just fighting over the same body. Yeah. Which felt very, like, Mm -hmm. it dispossessed um, both women from the body. But Uh at the same time, like, also Jared was not interested in her at all because Wanda was in there. That's true. Neither one of them is really, like, and it's not a problem at the end of the movie when they put Wanda in a different body. Like, Ian is still attracted to her and, like, wants to, like, they're still in love. They're still dating at the end of the movie. Which feels, like, very cool of Ian, I guess, to be attracted to the personality, not to the body. Yes. But also, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) None of the men in this movie were good. Yeah. Jake Abel's character, though, Ian, he does rapidly get on the Wanda train, maybe because he thinks she's hot, maybe because he thinks that she's like gonna be his girlfriend but he does rapidly no like no other women in this cave will date me <laughs> guess i'll go with the parasite there were basically no other young people that's true These except two... kyle <laughs> his played, brother played by my man boyd Hol- holbrook king of playing scumbags with blonde hair <laughs> known roles also include vengeance where he plays whataburger fiend <laughs> Okay, maybe sorry. maybe we need to move on from the love triangle. <laughs> oh boy, okay. In addition to feeling very representative of like love triangle paranormal romance genre, it was also very representative of both dystopian science fiction at the same time. Like just immediately right off the bat, it looked very dystopian. Like she wore a shiny metal dress so that we knew that it was in the future. Like yes, every piece of technology is white or chrome. The alien color scheme is very basic. Like, it's white or chrome, and mm-hmm. which, honestly, very boring. The future should have more color, please. In the future, I demand that it should be more colorful. But it did feel very much like a formula, like, this girl, right, she's built different. She's not like other girls. Mm-hmm. Like, she is stronger. She can fight back against the system. Yeah. Oh, speaking of the system, our favorite element, the store. The store. <laughs> yeah, 
Yes. Oh my god. At one point, they they leave and they go to a place literally called store. Like not even in Helvetica store. font. Yes, in it's Helvetica. Helvetica font. Everything inside of it is yellow with Helvetica font and the label. It says like corn, corn, like, cereal, flour, flour, bread. Yeah. Um, obsessed with that. I love that they really came for Jeff Bezos's throat. <laughs> I think that that is a little bit of a, the communist commentary, which we can get to in a little bit. Oh, okay, yes. But yeah. yes, they did definitely go to store to buy corn. Yes, and, and also steal another alien while they were there. Yes. The dystopia, the dystopian genre, though, like activated in both of the societies. Like neither of them was super good. Uncle Jebediah says, "Like this ain't a democracy," which very cool of him. We oh st- my god, we stand Uncle Jeb. <laughs> I would do anything for Uncle Jeb in this film. I'm obsessed with him. You commented to me at one point that this movie. I very much felt like it was teaching you how to watch a movie, and I think that that kind of works because mm-hmm. it's a YA movie. Like it's it's teaching you how to watch all of these genres. Like yeah. all the symbols are very obvious. All of right. the colors are very obvious. Like the aliens wear white and chrome, and the people wear earth tones because they're down to earth and they're human. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like very easy to identify aliens. It's so easy to identify the aliens, which is whack, yes. honestly. Other yeah. than their color scheme, they also like all wear fifties esque clothing. They're very like business professional, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they also like, I don't know, just like they act super weird. At one point, I commented to you that we can tell that Wanda is an alien because she doesn't use conjunctions. She yeah. like only speaks in do not and not don't. Yeah, which weird it it gave mm-hmm. very much that one episode of brooklyn 99 when <laughs> when you know the one no <laughs> okay whatever we no no tell me it's when jake can tell that captain holt <gasps> is lying yes. because he's using because he used a conjunction yeah. yes a contraction yeah a contraction a contraction that's my yes. bad obsessed wow king yeah Oh my god, Jake Peralta, king. God amongst men. All right. In the same genre of, like, dystopia, like, Melanie is doing some rebelling, but then they, like, get some, like, future mace and they spray her with forget-me juice and stuff like this. (laughs) And they, like, have alien doctors and they steal stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Very anti-establishment. Very, like, underground rebels that we're rooting for. Mm -hmm. At the same time, like, though, the system was not the problem. It was Diane Kruger's character. Yeah. Like... The system was totally ready to abandon them. They were like, okay, there's enough humans that are dead now that it's fine. It's whatever. Yeah, they were, they literally say multiple times, like, why do we even need them? There's enough of us. Like, they don't need to. They'll die soon. Yeah. 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 The alien mechanics were really confusing to me because, like, the aliens, at the beginning of the movie, it is established that they have created the perfect society. The Earth is healed now. Like, Earth is good. (laughs) Climate change? No problem. Yeah, no problem. And we're all living perfectly in peace. And we, like, at one point, she, like, Pulls up on this guy and says, give me your car. And he says, okay, do you need it? It's a very reliable model. Like, mm-hmm. I'll see you later. And then she never sees him again. And she actually crushes his car. Yeah, pretty rude of her. Very rude of her since he gave it to her for free. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the alien mechanics are kind of whack. Because, like, the lore appears to be that the aliens have lived many lies, lives. And that they have, like, conquered many other planets. Because there's many, many planets in their system that they can send them to. Which means that there's so many of these aliens. Because they're all presumably living on all of these planets. Mm-hmm. And yet, for living so many lives, Wanderer is awfully naive. Like, she doesn't know how to do jack shit. Mm -hmm. Our girl does not know what a chair is or how to put one under a door, which, I don't know, maybe there aren't chairs in other worlds, but feels like a kind of a basic thing. Mm -hmm. People need to sit. I love to sit. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot of questions that this raises for me about, like, can aliens feel love? Because when wanderer first gets put in melanie's body she does not seem to have ever experienced a physical sensation once in her life like she does Mm -hmm. not seem to have ever had like a love interest she's never been kissed 
because in the memory she's like wow kissing feels weird on my lips in this memory so i think that the implication is that like human nature is just so cool to her okay like she is she loves these things about humanity right because there's that scene where the seeker is like do you pity the humans and she's like duh duh <laughs> like they're so cool they have all these cool things like emotions and crying and they love each other and they kiss on the mouth so neat so neat so i feel like in a way she's like kind of obsessed with being human well i would be obsessed with being human too if my body looked like a piece of overgrown lint <laughs> all of these aliens looked like bugs they looked so dumb and I think, like, Shiny honestly, bugs. why didn't the humans just get out the fly swatters oh when God. they first came? I, oh I have got to know how the how the aliens first got into a human. Because yeah. you have to, like, cut open a, a, the back of someone's neck to insert the alien. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the lore wasn't really fleshed out. I wonder if it's more fleshed out in the book. I'll never yeah. know because I'll never read it. Maybe never. when she finally drops the second one. <laughs> yeah, maybe when she finally drops number two and number three, we'll There you go, we'll Stephanie Meyer. We're waiting just on you. Just you wait. We're waiting on you. It was very easy to tell he was an alien, mostly because everyone except the people in warm colors were aliens. So even Here's from afar, what really bothered me. Yeah. The humans, to disguise the fact that they are humans, they will wear, wear sunglasses yeah. out into the world. However, never once in this movie ever did I see an alien wear sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, so it's Which kind of a, a flimsy disguise. Which leads me to believe that wearing sunglasses is also a marker of being human. <laughs> Maybe having alien eyes makes you impervious to the sun. In which case, wearing sunglasses is not very helpful. But anyway. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Science fiction, I I love the genre of science fiction, and this was not a great example of it. Yeah. But it was, I did like, read a review that said this is sci-fi for people that hate sci-fi, and I don't think that that's true. Fair. I don't think that Stephanie Meyer was really going for sci-fi as much as she was going for dystopia and paranormal romance, because those were the things that were, like, kind of the highest up there. But dystopia and science fiction kind of go together sometimes. Yeah. Kind of in one telling part of, like, the genre or the vibes of this movie is that, like, dystopian science fiction go together to be anti-communist. <laughs> to be anti-communist. This, this movie was very much giving invasion of the body snatchers, like, in that they are stealing people's bodies and putting in a host. Yeah, A host sure. which loves communal work and also <laughs> and also sharing everything. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Invasion of the Body Snatchers came out in 1956. And it's, like, this movie that is very anti-McCarthyism, right? So, basically, the idea is there's this, like, Pleasantville society, and one night something comes down from space into their town. And it's, like, in everyone's basement, there's this, like, big bean pod, except inside the bean pod is a, a new version of you, and it's growing, like, in Alexandra's basement, it's growing a new Alexandra, and the new Alexandra is going to wake up and kill Alexandra. Yeah. And then pretend to be Alexandra. So they're going to, like, replace everyone with clones of themselves and then work in this, like, happy, harmonious, like, communist utopia, utopian society type deal. Mm -hmm. So this is very much giving the same thing in the sense that the aliens are, like, in their brains and are trying to make the human race better by removing a lot of inherently capitalistic and American traits like individualism and, I don't know, wage labor. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) those kinds of things but this didn't feel like as well well this was pretty pretty aggressively i don't know do you think this movie is anti-communist yes i do but what about all the sickles i I, there is so much communist imagery in this whole thing and we can talk about that in a sec okay 
But I just want, okay, while we're on the topic, though, of, like, whether or not the society is capitalist, is Diane Kruger's character capitalist? Because as soon as Wander, like, wakes up, she's like, are, are you ready to work? Are you ready to be put to work? Oh, true. She's like, girl was just born. Yeah, that's true. Like, I don't know. Maybe the aliens are better uh, better than us because they are communists and they have, like, an ideal society or whatever. But it definitely felt like the aliens, or specifically the Seeker, was capitalist and that that's why she was bad. So maybe it's not an anti-communist movie. I think that the little utopian society is, it's definitely utopian socialism. The little people, the little rebel humans living underground, they are growing all that wheat and they have sickles that they use to harvest the wheat. And at one point, the brother accidentally cuts himself with the sickle and there's a bloody sickle laying on the ground in the field of wheat. And I'm like, oh my God. Lennon is quaking right now. (laughs) Lennon is quaking. He is so upset that freaking... (laughs) That freaking Andrew Nichol <laughs> came up with a better propaganda than he did in his whole life. <laughs> yeah, because you're, you're right. The wheat definitely, like, at one point when they walk into the wheat place, um, they're like little wheat cave. Mm-hmm. Everyone looks up and they are all looking very Soviet because mm-hmm. they're all wearing, like, neck, cur- like, kerchiefs on their hair and, like, and, yeah. like very traditional clothing. Mm-hmm. And it just, it really looked like a Soviet realist advertisement <laughs> to me. I was like, wow, <laughs> Stalin, where are you? Yes. But at the same time, it's a book by Stephanie Meyer, and it is kind of giving Mormon. Mormons. Yes. It is kind of giving more who are in like it's so American and it cannot was be communistic. So much giving Mormon in that like they went on a journey through the desert to the west to the good place where there's wheat and food, where there's wheat and food, uh-huh. and, and also two men in love with you. <laughs> also the souls, the like souls. the fact oh, that they yeah. call the aliens souls instead of like aliens are bugs. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, just a little tidbit. did feel anyway. a little bit like Mormon. <laughs> the fact that in this room right now we cannot distinguish the fact about whether this is communist propaganda or Mormon propaganda. Why not both? It's a spot I've never found myself in. <laughs> I don't know that it was propaganda for anything, but it definitely felt like it was taking elements of communism and also of capitalism and, like, kind of meshing them. It's talking about forming a society. Yeah. It's which dealing with the conflict of... Of forming a society. Yeah. And as it turns out, the ideal society is America, according to Stephanie Meyer. The symbols, though, I really want to talk about the wheat because I felt like the wheat meant something. Okay. I thought that this movie, first of all, could have dealt with more gendered imagery, but I feel like wheat and, like, farming is a very gendered thing, particularly because at the end, when... um when Wanda is standing in, the, in this plowed field when she's like, I'm going to, you have to, you guys have to kill me and give Melanie back her body. She like mm-hmm. goes and stands in the plowed field. Like they've harvested all the wheat. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like such a symbol of possibility. Like that she was at this, this crossroads where she mm-hmm. could stay in Melanie's body. She could die. Mm-hmm. Or there could be a third secret option, which is that we put her in a different body. Right. Well, and that like the field, which has been plowed, cleared of the grain is like spent. And she, her time in Melanie's body also spent like, very, yeah, she's very like simple. lived out the life that she wants to. Mm-hmm. She's given this community everything she can give them. Yeah. Or so she thinks. Yeah. Cause right. There's also the possibility of next season. There's mm-hmm. more wheat. Yeah. The wheat also just like was such a promise of life, right? That like this human society even though they are in a cave, can still grow wheat with their mirrors. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of thoughts about the wheat, and most of them were about gender and, like, the promise of new society. But Yeah, I think wheat is pretty feminine. I know that's maybe a hot take. Wheat is very feminine, wheat is very right, feminine because, because of... spread. Also because of Greek mythology. Like, yeah. Demeter mm-hmm. is the goddess of agriculture, and her symbol is wheat. Mm-hmm. So... 
Yes. I think, though, that, like you said, all the symbols are very obvious. So, like, other than the wheat, the only other one that I really picked up on was water. And you were right. Like, the the, <laughs> the water is a Chekhov's gun. Oh, yeah. There's, like, a underground, like, current thing. And he said, Je- Uncle Jeb, when he's showing um, Melanie slash Wanda around, is like, oh, don't fall in don't there. Don't fall in there. You're, <laughs> you're never coming back. And then later she has a fight with Kyle. And she pushes Kyle into the water. Yeah. On accident. Allegedly. 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 <laughs> then she saves him from the water also. Yes. But also, like, she takes a bath and she becomes a human. Like, make- Jeb specifically says to her, doesn't taking a bath make you feel like a human being again? Yeah, anyway, water equals rebirth, as per usual. <laughs> water equals rebirth. <laughs> Mic drop, next question. <laughs> next question. I don't think that I had a lot more to say about this movie, like, other than all the communist and wheat stuff. I was like, wow. I just really yeah. need to, needed to drop that in there. There were a couple of issues with this. The cars all had such aggressive brand placing. The aliens all drove Lotuses, and mm-hmm. the humans all drove Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. Like, where did they get those? <laughs> true true literally where did they get them in the middle of the desert yeah and also like all the gunshot wounds did not look like they were given by the guns that that shot them yeah there's a part where like seeker go the part where seeker goes rogue is when she accidentally kills an alien while she's trying to shoot the humans and she like shoots him with just this you know little pistol handgun situation and his like whole head blows up which is kind (laughs) of super dumb but anyway i whatever they're balling on a budget okay they're trying to make a twilight level film with a cw level budget (laughs) yeah they need that product placement baby they do but not enough to put any sort of thing with corn or the store that's true (laughs) store was very important store That was truly one of the funniest parts of this movie was just, other than the terrible love triangle, that's just them going to store to buy corn. (laughs) I would do anything to go to store to buy corn. Ooh, except have like a invasion of alien parasites. Body snatchers? Yeah, I don't want that. Yeah, my bad. Listen. Yeah. This movie was the worst reviewed movie we've ever watched for this project. I didn't think it was the worst movie we've watched for this project. No. We certainly saw much work for, for example, many of the movies we've watched so far have been pretty bad. I didn't think that this was that bad. It was, like, definitely, like, better quality, higher budget type yeah. deal. There were bigger names, right? Like, they got yeah. Diane Kruger for this. Love Diane Kruger. If you're out there, please, like, hit me up. <laughs> but, yeah, I didn't think that this was as, I don't know, what did you think about it? I think it's a solid 2.5, maybe a 3 for me, because I like this kind of feel of movie, right? It feels very familiar, because a lot of movies came out, they all felt the exact same. It's very yeah. nostalgic. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this was not a great example. It was just fine. It was, it, like you said, it was abundantly mediocre. Yeah. My letterbox review for it was two and a half stars, and it read, stop slandering this movie just because it's for 15-year-old girls and no one else. And I think that that's my whole criticism of it. Yeah. I do think, though, that it has given us a lot of things to talk about. Yeah. Like a lot of the imagery and a lot of the things that they do in this movie. And the Swiffer Duster aliens. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I hated the way that the aliens looked, but other than that, it was like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. I think Saoirse, I might give her a 3.5. Okay. Perhaps even a 4. Ooh, okay. No, not a 4. A 3.5. Okay. I think it's a 3 from me. I felt like there were, I can think of like two whole scenes where I was like, she's onto something, she's doing something good there. And the rest felt kind of just flat for me. Yeah. I think that that might have been not her fault. It might have been, like, the directing or the writing or anything like that. But I just wasn't blown away. So I'm just going to give her a three. But I know that there are going to be days where she blows me away. There's going to be days where I want to give her a ten out of five. Yeah. So 
More to come. More to come, yeah. She's definitely on sort of an upward trajectory in her career. Yeah. And I think I'm looking forward to the rest of the rest of the project when we, when we finish this out strong. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, I don't think we have any people to thank this time other than, of course, everyone involved in the production of this movie. Of course. Thank you, Sersha, for making it through. Thank you, Stephanie Meyer, for writing the book and hopefully working on the sequel and also the rest of the trilogy so we can find out what actually happens with the secret societies yeah i gotta know you know i'm just really jonesing <laughs> to figure out if seeker ever comes back from the farthest planet possible <laughs> i'm sure she does she's yeah. the only villain so she yeah. has to gotta okay well thank you all so much for listening and to tune in next week for our next movie